Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish is upset. Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Arike Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT. WSBTradio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time agents! Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the program live on 960 AM WSBT. Live streams available at WSBTradio.com and on the free WSBT radio app. Video feed of the show right now on the Twitch app. Eight minutes after five o'clock on this Wednesday, March the 8th of 2023. Hope you had a terrific day. Thanks for spending some time with me. Here on WSBT Radio, a slight broadcasting change for tonight. Budweiser's weekday sports beat will air from 5 until 6.30. At 6.30, we join coverage of the ACC basketball tournament down in Greensboro. It'll be the Boston College Eagles taking on the North Carolina Tar Heels. The Heels need to bank victories to ensure their spot, improve their position, Whatever you want to say about the Tar Heels trying to get to the NCAA tournament. Number one team in the country in the preseason. It has been a struggle. Boston College, late in the regular season, knocked off the Virginia Cavaliers. They beat Louisville last night to get to the second round. Can BC put a big-time crimp into the NC tournament resume? We'll find out in just a little bit. In Greensboro earlier today, Wake Forest rallied to get by Syracuse 77-74. And Pittsburgh took care of Georgia Tech 89-81. After BC and Carolina tonight, game number four of the day, Virginia Tech, who beat the Irish last night, taking on NC State. Coming up on the program this evening, after our hat trick of opening topics, we've got our Twitter question of the day. We have a segment that I'm going to spend a little time talking Notre Dame basketball 
and play back some of Mike Bray's comments in his final game as Notre Dame basketball coach. We'll get to that, including since he didn't have to worry about being fined anymore. He's no longer part of the ACC. I guess he could still be fined, but why would they? He was critical of the officiating for the way they handled the late-game Matt Zona technical foul. And you know what? Honestly, I agree with Mike. We'll play that coming up here in just a little bit. Six o'clock hour, we've got really one segment for you, and it's all Notre Dame football and Notre Dame women's basketball talk. Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, will join me at 6.05 to talk about those two subjects. That's what's on the way over the next 90 minutes here on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. We begin our hat trick, or three, opening topics for tonight's program. Let's get started with Notre Dame basketball. The end of the season, 11-21, the record for the Fighting Irish. They bowed out of the first round of the ACC tournament last night, losing to the 11 seed, the Hokies of Virginia Tech, 67-64. to The first time around, it was a slugfest, 93-87 Tech over the Irish this time. We did not have that type of firepower offensively. But this just almost, as an Irish fan, what you expect, how things transpired late in the game. It's just that same old story, Notre Dame in position to win the game, couldn't close it out, up four with 2.43 to play, and the Irish lose by three. With this being such a veteran basketball team that learned how to win all these games over the last two years, including, look what they did in March Madness last year. Now, that team had Blake Wesley and Paul Atkinson, and that obviously makes a big difference. But this team, for whatever reason, couldn't get over the hump in so many of these tight games, including the one last night. It did not help their cause. What I just mentioned a moment ago, the Matt Zona technical foul with 42 seconds left it was a ball screen situation I thought Zona got bumped by a Virginia Tech player held a little bit whatever the case may be I thought the contact by one Virginia Tech player got Zona just a little off balance his arm came up forearm elbow whatever you want to call it then hit another Virginia Tech player in the face after a long conversation The foul against Virginia Tech stood, but they assessed a technical foul against Zona. Notre Dame was down one at that time. Both teams got free throws, and that was a critical call. Very easily. In fact, I believe the right call. Nothing on Zona. I think the other Virginia Tech player affected his balance, causing him to make contact with the second Virginia Tech player. I think it was the wrong call. I think they thought about it way too much. I know we are stressing avoiding contact to the head. That is an absolute no-no in college hockey. Most occasions when you hit someone in the head in a college hockey game, you're done for the night. Zona wasn't kicked out, obviously, nor should he have been, but was assessed, I thought, a very tough technical foul. Eventually, Notre Dame down three. With 2.4 seconds left, Mike Bray had the chance to draw up a play. 
And he got Nate Lashevsky in a great spot, right top of the key. Three ball for the tie, bounced off the rim, no good as time expired. And the Irish fall to Virginia Tech, 67-64. Lashevsky in the first meeting against Virginia Tech had 33 points. He had zero points in the first half, hardly shot the ball. Finished with four points on two of eight shooting. Notre Dame was in the game because of a couple of players in particular. The transfer from Niagara, Marcus Hammond, one of his best games of the year. He put up 23 against the Hokies and a big reason why Notre Dame fought back from a deficit in the first half. You had Cormac Ryan, a big problem for Tech in this game. He put up 18, but the big surprise, Matt Zona, just knocking down threes. He had three trifectas in the ballgame. I thought, I think it was Jordan Cornett, the old Irish Ford, made the comment on the ACC network that he didn't think that Virginia Tech had Matt Zona shooting threes on their scouting report, and I bet you they didn't. If it was, it was an asterisk at the bottom of the page. Oh, by the way, this kid, if he plays, might try to shoot a three. Well, he did, and he had some big shots for the Fighting Irish. But at the end of the day, late game breakdowns, not enough plays made. Virginia Tech made plays. Credit to them. Hokies win 67-64. And after 23 years of being the head coach of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, Mike Bray coached his final game last night, parting ways with the program. Great run for Mike Bray, and he talked in the postgame last night the honor it has been to be your head coach the last 23 years. Unbelievably honored. Been unbelievably honored. 23 years, you know, I've been able to be the coach at Notre Dame. It's been a flat-out honor. My bosses are here tonight, Father John and Jack Swarbrick. They've been amazingly supportive, and, you know, even though this year um, – you know, didn't go well. I'm proud of how we've run the program, and and I think we are going to get a heck of a coach. And I'm going to help our administration get recruit the next guy. But uh, to walk around for 23 years and guy goes, hey, that that's the Notre Dame coach. Man, that's that's awesome. We, can you make sure they say, hey, that's the former Notre Dame coach? That'd be all right if they say that. Well, I think most of the country recognizes. Mike Bray, the turtleneck guy, the guy out in Maui with his shirt off, celebrating a victory in the locker room, roaming the sideline, talking about John Gaffney down at Florida State. There's many ways to remember Mike Bray. And, oh, by the way, one heck of a basketball coach. The way he spread the floor when most teams weren't spreading the floor, four out, one in, five out. He did a little bit of changing the game of basketball, and you see it throughout the NBA today. Think where this program was before Mike arrived. Ten years not making the tournament. Had Troy Murphy on his roster, David Graves, Chris Thomas to get things going. 2015 ACC champions, 15 and 16, making it to the Elite Eight. And 15 nearly making it to the Final Four, but they ran into that undefeated Kentucky team. It has been a fun ride. And Mike's teams, with a couple of exceptions, including this year, have always been really good offensively. 
you know, they held their own defensively a lot of times. But the one thing about Mike, he kept his players loose. He is the loosest coach in America. Always try to keep them in a great frame of mind. When your coach isn't panicking, I think as a player you see, I shouldn't be panicking. Got to know Mike through the years. It was an absolute pleasure. Loved being around him. And I know those of us in the media are going to miss him dramatically. Always approachable, always available. In a time in which sports information departments have tightened things up. Mike was still Mike, and by golly, we loved every second of it. We'll talk more about Mike as the week goes on, but I'm one of his biggest fans. It was a fun, fun ride, and I'm definitely going to miss Mike roaming the sidelines here in South Bend. More comments from Mike coming up in just a little bit here on WSBT Radio. Women's college basketball, of course, Notre Dame played a very poor game against Louisville in the ACC tournament semifinals. The Irish trying to figure out how to play without their star guard, Olivia Miles. Who knows if she'll be available in the NCAA tournament. She is listed as day-to-day. And how will the Miles injury affect Notre Dame when the brackets come out on Sunday? Charlie Cream is the individual who does the bracketology for the NCAA women's basketball tournament. And his latest bracketology has the Fighting Irish as a number three seed. And they would be located in the Bloomington Regional. The number one seed in that regional is Indiana, the Indiana Ball Club. Just for fun in this bracketology, Indiana is number one. Good old UConn, who always seems to make the Final Four. They're a number two seed, Notre Dame three, and UCLA four. In this ESPN Bracketology, the Irish would host the South Bend Regional, so you, the basketball fans in our community, will get to see the Irish probably two more times this year in the NCAA Tournament. According to the Bracketology, the South Bend Regional would have the three-seed Notre Dame taking on the 14-seed, the Terriers of Boston University, an old Hockey East matchup. The other game, the number six seed, Michigan, taking on the 11 seed, Columbia. Now, the big question for me is, will Notre Dame have their seating altered due to the uncertainties surrounding star guard Olivia Miles? You have to go back quite a few years for this, but you veteran basketball fans, or I guess we could... I'll put ourselves in the category of old people that might remember Kenyon Martin, a star forward for Cincinnati. Bob Huggins and the Bearcats years ago had a chance to be the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. Martin suffered a knee injury. I think back then it would have been Conference USA for Cincinnati. And due to Martin being out for the tournament, They went from being possibly the number one overall seed to not even being seeded on the one line. They were dropped because of the injury because they're not the same team without Martin. And you look at Notre Dame. The game against Louisville was awfully concerning from the standpoint of being an Irish fan, seeing this team struggle so dramatically. It wasn't a bad game. It was a dramatically 
poor performance against a good team, don't get me wrong, but Olivia Miles isn't the only four or five star on this Notre Dame roster. Now, losing Darren Mabry earlier in the year, you lose two key players. That does make a difference, but there's still a lot of talent on this team, and I think most people expect Notre Dame to work this week and next week on playing without Miles, and if you get her back, absolutely fantastic. If not, you're playing without her in practice, trying to build new chemistry and figure out a way to win games. To me right now, you make the Sweet 16 without Olivia Miles, that's a pretty good accomplishment. I mean, she's that important to this squad. But will they be punished? If they're supposed to be a three seed, will they be a number three seed? How much will the committee know about the status of Miles? If you're Notre Dame and she's going to be out, you don't say that because the committee would immediately dock the Irish from that three line. So you just continue to say day to day and you hope the committee doesn't alter their seeding of what they accomplished this year, and that is being a number three seed. It's funny, in women's college basketball this year, normally if there's a dominant team, it's UConn or it's Baylor. It's South Carolina right now. The Gamecocks defending national champions. They're trying to become the fifth program to win back-to-back titles. Now, UConn, Tennessee, they've done it numerous times. But in terms of programs, South Carolina trying to become the fifth to win back-to-back national titles. They've been number one in the country, 37 straight basketball weeks. And they are going to be a very, very tough out in the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament. This might be a year, if you're into wagering, do you take South Carolina or the field? I love to take the field on those type of wagers, but this year... With the way South Carolina looks, it is awfully hard not to take them. And finally, our third hat trick topic of the evening. The Big Ten Tournament gets underway tonight. We look ahead to tomorrow, the Michigan Wolverines in action in what should be a tight 8-9 matchup. It's Michigan taking on Rutgers. Rutgers, Michigan, two teams desperate to help their tournament resume. Rutgers is only 18 and 13, 10 and 10 in the Big Ten. You go back to January 5th, Rutgers beat a really good Maryland team in Piscataway, 64-60. After that win, Rutgers was 11 and 4 overall, and they were 3 and 1 in the Big Ten. But unfortunately, tough times have hit the Knights, And Rutgers, since that win over Maryland in 16 games, they are just 7-9. and They've lost their last two games, an extremely disappointing loss at Minnesota, the last place team in the Big Ten up. Double digits in the second half. Rutgers couldn't close them out, lost 75-74. And then it was Rutgers losing at home to Northwestern, 66-53. Rutgers went from a team that could be seated high in the tournament to fighting to get into the NCAA tournament. For Michigan, Jawan Howard's team, the overall record is not pretty. 17 and 14, but they are 11 and 9 in the Big Ten. Rutgers and Michigan played one time this year. It was February the 23rd, and the Wolverines went to Piscataway and beat Rutgers at the rack. 
58 to 46. The seven-footer Hunter Dickinson, 13 points, 11 rebounds. Doug McDaniel was 16. Kobe Bufkin with 14 for Michigan. Rutgers' leading score, just 11 points in that game. And it was put up by Cam Spencer. The undefeated 76 Hoosiers in that final four, Rutgers and Michigan were also in attendance. This time, Michigan-Rutgers meet in the Big Ten tournament tomorrow. Second round game as eight and nine seeds, and the winner gets all the fun that is playing the Boilermakers of Purdue, led by Zach Eady. Rutgers, though, feels pretty good about playing Purdue. They have matched up very well with the Boilermakers the last couple of years. So that is tomorrow, first game of the day at the United Center, michigan taking on Rutgers, a massive game for their tournament resumes. And that's our hat trick of opening topics to start tonight's program. Coming up in a moment, the results of yesterday's Twitter question of the day in regard to Notre Dame basketball and their future. Today's question has to do with Notre Dame players and the NFL draft. I'll tell you the question coming up in a couple of moments. And still to come, more from Mike Ray's final press conference as head coach of the Fighting Irish after Notre Dame lost to Virginia Tech last night. You want to hear his comments about the Matt Zona technical foul? I think he's right on the button. We'll do that in a couple of moments. Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Twenty-eight minutes in front of six o'clock. One more hour left for Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat tonight. Then we bring you coverage of the ACC basketball tournament down in Greensboro. Game three of the day, Boston College taking on North Carolina. Twitter question of the day from yesterday with a bunch of players out of eligibility and the 2023 recruiting class down to one player. How many years will it take the new Notre Dame basketball coach to make the team an NCAA tournament contender? I offered you three choices. Choice number one next year choice number two the irish are two years away from being an ncaa tournament contender and the third choice three years away from contending for the ncaa tournament i didn't put four years because if you can't be a contender in four years then probably you're going to be updating your resume but it is an overhaul for the new coach when they are brought in so what do you think? How long is it going to take? Here's the results of the voting. Coming in third place in the voting. Next year, Notre Dame being a tournament contender, only 4% are the ultimate optimist. That would be one heck of a job by the new head coach to bring in impact players from the transfer portal. Coming in second place in the voting, the Irish are two years away from having a basketball team to contend for the NCAA tournament. Two years got 27% of the vote. And I like 
this particular vote because it's showing patience by Irish fans because 69% the winning vote was the Irish are three years away from being an NCAA tournament contender. If I had a vote, that is exactly the way I would have voted because I just think it's going to be really hard to be a contender next year. You've got Marcus Burton coming in from Penn High School. He's the one person left in the 2023 recruiting cycle that signed on with the Fighting Irish and stuck to that commitment. I think it's going to be very difficult to get impact players to come to this Notre Dame team. If you are in the transfer portal and you have, let's say, one year of eligibility left, you're probably, if you're good enough, are looking to join a team that is a contender for the NCAA tournament. You want to go to a really good team. Now, if you are someone that might be playing at a lower level, wanting that chance to play in the ACC, Notre Dame, who knows, might be one of the places that you can go to. But I think it's going to be tough. I really do. Chris wrote in on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. Yeah, grad transfers are where you're going to have to go. Bobby wrote, every year, how many basketball players graduate with a year of eligibility left? Those guys are prime targets for the new coach, and he can offer playing time minutes out the wazoo. No doubt about that. Chris also wrote, Notre Dame just can't get any old kid out of the portal, though. Transfer admission are a thing. No doubt about that. All right, some of the responses from our listeners on Twitter at 960 Sportsbeat. Got to be patient. Patient, patient, patient. And three years, I think, is realistic. But if the coach can do it before them, his agent will be on the phone asking for a bump up in pay. <laughs> All right, let's get to today's question of the day, which was posted earlier today on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. Which Notre Dame football player will be drafted the highest in their respective draft year? That's the key. So I'm looking for which of these three players in their respective draft year will be taken the highest or first. Now, one player that you can vote on has already been drafted, and that is from the 2021 NFL Draft. Safety Kyle Hamilton went number 14 overall. So there's a good starting point. Number 14, Hamilton. Will the other two in your opinion, go before 14 or after 14. Choice number two from this year's NFL draft, Michael Mayer, the tight end. Will he be taken before Kyle Hamilton? And next year, it's going to be offensive tackle Joe Alt that will be mentioned as a first-round pick. So in the respective draft year, who was taken first? We know Hamilton went last year at 14. What about Mayer this year and Alt next year? Now, I'm projecting Alt to be in the draft next year. He doesn't have to. He's got eligibility remaining, but I think all of us here having this conversation know how good he is, maybe the best offensive tackle in the country, and that is going to mean he is going to be highly sought after in next year's 
NFL draft process. So what do you think? Which Notre Dame player will be drafted the highest in the respective draft year? Are you going to go with safety Kyle Hamilton last year at 14 and this year's draft tied in Michael Mayer or projecting next year offensive tackle Joe Alt? You can vote. Leave a response while you voted the way you did on my Twitter account at 960sportsbeat. Have some fun with this. We'd love to get your response on why you voted the way that you did. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser. The King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Barnaby's, the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop for new beginnings, have happy endings. Folks, if you love college basketball, you know what's coming next week. It is tournament time, and mayhem is coming back. Basketball mayhem. And you can get ready to create your brackets this coming Monday at our website, wsbtradio.com. Fill out our bracket, and if you pull off the perfect bracket, you have the chance to win a million dollars. You can submit your brackets next week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at wsbtradio.com. Basketball Mayhem 2023, and your chance to win $1 million is brought to you by Cottage in Pizza of Niles, Michigan. Please check out their new loyalty rewards program and their app for such easy ordering. Go to at cottageinn.com. 20 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Mike Bray's final game was last night. What did he have to say after the game? We'll play some of his comments back, including he was very harsh in his criticism toward the officials because of that Matt Zona technical foul with 42 seconds left. We'll play that comment back and more in just a couple of moments. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Wesley, off-balance shot, no good. Atkinson put back. It's good. That's it. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Notre Dame in double overtime. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Happy St. Patrick's Day, baby. Uh, That was one of the fun moments in the 23 years of Mike Gray being the head coach of the Fighting Irish basketball team. That crazy game in Dayton, first four last year. Game goes into multiple overtimes before the Irish advance. The game carried over into St. Patrick's Day, and Mike let us know about that. Happy St. Patrick's Day, baby! That was fantastic. And Mike mentioned last night after the Virginia Tech loss that because of that comment, he has received a lot of Irish whiskey from individuals, including down at the ACC tournament. He mentioned, I'm not even really the biggest Irish whiskey fan, but he has a pretty good stockpile, I think, of Irish whiskey from a lot of people saying goodbye to an extremely popular coach and man in Mike Bray. It has been an absolute pleasure the last 23 years covering his basketball teams. Always fun to be around. And it looked like the Irish might have one more game in them They had Virginia Tech down last night in round one of the ACC tournament down in Greensboro. They had 
a four-point lead with 2.43 to play. Couldn't close it out. Virginia Tech won 67-64. Nate Lashevsky had that last-second three for the tie that would not go. And the Irish season ends at 11-21, and and thus ending the Mike Bray era in South Bend. And this is how Mike opened up his comments in the postgame last night. Tech is really good, really good. And, um, you know, I'm disappointed for him because, you know, it's been a great group of young men, even though um, we haven't won like we've wanted to. They've hung in there. This guy here has been an unbelievable leader. And, you know, anybody can lead when you're winning. When you're getting your butt handed to you a lot, he, he just was fabulous. I'm, fa I'm thrilled for Marcus Hammond. Finally got him healthy, and, you know, he was – we had our chances. Uh, but Tech Tech made big plays. Some of the comments of Mike Brain. Yeah, Marcus Hammond looked great. Had that knee injury started the year, had the knee brace on once he came back. I think we saw what Marcus Hammond was capable of doing late in the year, including last night when he posted the 23 points against the Hokies. Big moment in the game. I think if you've been around this program for a while, you know I don't blame the officials or one call on the outcome of the game because there are things that you could have done throughout the game to improve your stance, and maybe the game doesn't come down to one call. But I think it is worth noting Notre Dame down one with 42 seconds left, and a technical foul was called on Matt Zona. You had a little pick-and-pop situation, it looked like. Zona fighting through the screen, I thought, got bumped, held by a Virginia Tech player, getting Zona off balance, and that led to his arm going up and hitting a second Virginia Tech player in the mouth after a long review and an even longer conversation between the three officials. They had the situation handled this way. Virginia Tech player was still credited with a foul. Zona was whistled for a technical foul due to the contact made by his forearm, his elbow, whatever, to the mouth of the Virginia Tech player. So both sides got free throws, and Virginia Tech got the basketball after the technical foul shots, and that put Notre Dame in a really, really tough spot. I don't think Mike Bray has to worry about being fine anymore since he is no longer a part of the ACC, and when he was asked about the last – 15 minutes or so, and one of the things he brought up was the way the officiating crew handled the Matt Zona play. And here's what Mike had to say, very candid on <laughs> what happened and the way the officials handled that situation. I got to digest it a little bit. I'll, I'll be very honest now that I'm not in the league anymore. I think that last play, if you have an A officiating crew, and that was not an A crew, you say basketball play, and we shoot the free throws and we play basketball. I think we got a little over analyzation on that part of it. And look, Virginia Tech made plays, but um, I, I don't think that was handled right. Now, we had some turnovers and made mistakes too, but um, I, I think you, you go basketball play in a great game and you shoot the free throws and let the game play out that's a big time crew can't disagree he nailed it and this crew 
thought about the play way too much. And again, I think the initial contact by the other Virginia Tech player was a big part of this. I guess the refs could argue you're still control of your own body. But if you are bumped, hell, whatever the case may be, that's going to affect your movement. And I don't think Zona's arm comes up on the Virginia Tech player had it not been for the primary contact by the first Virginia Tech player. I would have had no problem, no matter whose team I'm rooting for, if a technical foul would not have been called in that spot. Don't understand the call. I think they got it wrong. Does it ultimately cost Notre Dame the game? No. Did it hurt their chances? Yes, without a doubt. If this would have been a situation where Notre Dame was a bubble team and that happens, then, boy, there's going to be even more controversy. Of course, Notre Dame needed to win the tournament to get the automatic berth into the NCAA tournament. It was a long shot, but you had a chance, and that chance, well, it was hurt by that long deliberation amongst the three person officiating crew and I just think they overanalyzed the situation unfortunately Notre Dame did not make enough plays down the stretch and they lose 67 to 64 Mike Bray grew up on the east coast watching ACC basketball he was a part of it up close and personal as an assistant coach for Mike Krzyzewski at Duke and then after going to Delaware arrived in South Bend, coaching Notre Dame in the Big East, and eventually moving on over to the ACC. Mike's had a lot of fun being a part of the Atlantic Coast Conference. You know, I I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would coach in the ACC from the University of Notre Dame. That's how crazy expansion was a couple years ago. And I remember I came down here with Father John and Jack Swarbrick to Chapel Hill for the announcement. And... I had to introduce them to the whole, all the ACC media because I knew all you dudes from, from my, from my uh, I was like the liaison to the ACC. Uh, to coach in this league and to win a championship in this league and, of course, the, 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 the things playing all day on the network and it was neat to see it. I, you know, it was an honor to be part of it. I grew up watching the league as a Maryland fan in, in Rockville, Maryland certainly an assistant at Duke, um, and great memories here in, in Greensboro. I'm, I'm really proud. You know, you got to be part of this league, and you think back. And, and we won a championship in this league. I, I'm, I'm really proud of that. And in our second year, and if Bonzi Colson doesn't sprain his ankle in Brooklyn, we may have got two in a row. If we won two in the first three years, y'all would have kicked us right back out. We'd be an independent in basketball, too. We'd be all – we'd be dead. yeah that's pretty funny that's a really really good point the folks along tobacco road wouldn't have been very happy about those guys from south Bend winning back-to-back championships but beating carolina and duke winning that first championship it does not get any better than that what a fun team that was with jaron grant pat Connaughton, demetrius jackson that team very easily could have got to the final four and as that NCAA tournament moved on there was a fraction of the basketball community that thought Notre Dame had a great chance to cut down the nets and win a championship and Kentucky had that late shot to go up by a couple of points Notre Dame couldn't answer and 
The undefeated Wildcats went to the Final Four where they got knocked off by Wisconsin in the next game. But that was a big, big opportunity. And Notre Dame had a great year. It's just too bad they ran into Kentucky. Maybe if somebody else is there, who knows? It could have been a whole different story. But still, that was a fun, fun season. So, Mike Bray, he was asked last night, what's next for him? What's next on the agenda? He was thinking more about last night than the future. I have no No, idea. Tonight? Tonight, I'm going to smoke a cigar. I'm going to go back and smoke a cigar. And and, and, uh, uh, tonight, I'm going to hang out a little bit and visit with my staff. And, um, you know, you you need time to decompress. And, and, you know, when you're in the season, you're just grinding every day and – We'll, we'll, we'll take a couple deep breaths, and, um, and tonight we're just going to lay low. <laughs> well, probably nice to just sit around and talk to the assistants, reminisce a little bit, because that bunch will not be together anymore. Something says Mike Bray is going to be a head coach at the Division I level, probably not too far down the road. Maybe he takes a year off. Maybe he decides if the right job comes about, he jumps back into it next year. But I kind of look at Mike Bray, kind of like what Sean Payton did, the longtime Saints head coach, took a year off last year, recharged the batteries, looked at the game away from, I guess, being in an NFL head coaching chair and now back in the game as the Broncos head coach. Maybe Mike Bray sits back and watches. Maybe he does a little TV for a year. If he wants to do TV, he's going to have a couple of offers. I think he would be fantastic. Jay Wright, the old Villanova coach, is doing TV for CBS. He's, he's good, but Mike, with his personality, he would be a superstar. But I think Mike's going to be back as a head coach. I just don't think he's done at the age of 63. 5.56, more sports beat in a moment on WSBT. Hey, Wings Etc. fans. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. We move to the 6 o'clock hour on this Wednesday evening. Darren Pritchett with you, joined by Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Also, write stories on the Notre Dame women's basketball team who's getting set for the NCAA tournament. But, Tyler, let's start some football right off the bat. We're just a couple of weeks away from spring practice. And I think now the coaching staff is pretty well all set once we have the special teams coach officially introduced, which I assume is going to happen pretty quickly. But I was thinking about this the other day. For a few years under Brian Kelly, Tyler, I was always like on a Friday before a Notre Dame football game when I did our advantage game, who has the advantage on special teams? Notre Dame, the opponent. And many times I just said, I hope Notre Dame breaks even because for so many years, special teams wasn't special at Notre Dame under Brian Polian. Well, I guess my attitude has changed after last year what Brian Mason was able to accomplish. Uh, he did an amazing job, Tyler, and I feel like that's some pretty tough shoes to fill considering what he accomplished in one year. Yeah, and you have to start with tying for the NCAA lead in blocked kicks. Obviously, a bunch of those came from Isaiah Foskey, I think three in one game against UNLV in the middle of the year, but it just got to a point there where I think they blocked a kick in five of six games yeah. or whatever it was. You felt like it was going to happen every single week, and there's only, shoot, man, maybe a handful of teams you can say that about any given college football season. I go back to the year that Texas won the national title. I think they blocked something like 10 kicks or something, and I mean, the, the all-time record is somewhere right around a dozen. So you get up 
over five, six, and then you get to that seven mark, you're doing something right. And I know having Isaiah Foskey, big six, five defensive lineman to just shoot a gap and go block a kick is a real advantage for any team. But a lot of teams have a six, five pass rusher like that. It was something that Brian Mason was doing, putting these guys, and that's the cliche, right? Put these guys in the right position to have success. Brian Mason was obviously doing that more than most special teams coaches in America. You can make a case that he probably should have gotten further along and, and closer to winning the Boyles Award that goes to the top uh, assistant in college football than he did. That um, Pete Lembo was actually South Carolina's special teams coordinator was kind of right in that mix too. Th- those were probably the best special teams coordinators all season long. And then you get to the Gator Bowl and special teams actually played a role for both teams in that game, which is kind of cool to see. But I'm right there with you that Notre Dame, for once, it felt like they had a difference maker at the special teams coordinator position. And look, this is something that head coaches, every single coach that's on a college football staff and even in the NFL, they always say it's a three-phase sport, right? Mm -hmm. You have offense, you have defense, you have special teams. But I think the average fan just kind of discounts special teams and says, all right, this game's going to be won offensively or defensively. Either it's going to be a high-scoring game or a low-scoring game, and that's going to be that. Notre Dame actually had three phases that it could key in on because it could actually go out there and win games or very much aid and help in winning games on special teams. And now you get rid of kind of the architect and the mastermind behind that. And you've got some questions again. Can Notre Dame be that type of team that actually has three phases of football? And I think you make great points. And I go back to Polian. They never block punts and they never return punts. So it was like break even was a good thing for special teams. So Brian Mason showed us that you can gain a lot of advantages with a good special teams unit. So let me take away uh, Parker out of the equation, the new offensive coordinator, for your answer. Which coach in a new position at Notre Dame are you most interested in finding out more about or watching him on the practice field I would probably say it kind of goes hand in hand with Parker so obviously the the answer is not going to be Parker here because you take him off the table but I would say Gino Gadouli because now we talked a little bit about this last week and it's been heavily covered by everyone on the Notre Dame beat you've got a guy that solely works with the quarterbacks and his one job is to say hey Sam Hartman Tyler Buckner whoever it is at the quarterback position I'm focusing on you and what I need to do to make you better and I think it's going to make a world of difference to have that guy be someone other than the guy that's coordinating the offense so how many years in a row now is it I mean it's I don't know who you go back to probably Brady Quinn maybe Jimmy Clausen where you said okay, Notre Dame has the guy at quarterback. He's going to make a difference. And I know Ian Book did some really good things. You can even throw Deshaun Kaiser in there, um, Tommy Reese, Everett Golson. There was some good quarterback play in spurts, but if you're talking three-, four-year guy, and I know Sam Hartman's not going to be that because he's only here for one year, but talking like start of the season to end of the season, Notre Dame has a quarterback that's going to go out there and make a difference and be – potentially the best quarterback in that game in any given game. I mean, Notre Dame hardly had that last season when you're starting Drew Pine uh, as a backup. So you have a guy in Gino Gadouli who can make sure that that's kind of the case for Notre Dame in a way that it hasn't been of late where kind of develop somebody into a Brady Quinn or a Jimmy Clausen or, or make, you know, maybe Tyler Buckner can be that guy or CJ Carr, Kenny Minty, whoever it is, 
you've got a coach that's 100% dedicated to making that happen. I think that's a really interesting dynamic. And that's not to say Tommy Reese wasn't 100% dedicated, but look, I mean, anybody that has a job knows that there are a lot of moving pieces and moving parts in any job. And when that job is to be an offensive coordinator at the college level at a place like Notre Dame, Tommy Reese had so many things coming across his plate and maybe some things slip through the crack. You know, you leave a little food on the table. In this instance, it's trying to make the quarterbacks a little bit better. All Gino Gadouli has to do is make those guys better. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch him try to make that happen. He is Tyler Horkin, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Let me move to the safety position for a moment as we get ready for spring practice. You think about two years ago, this football team had Kyle Hamilton, who turned into the number 14 overall pick in the draft last year and had a great year at the Baltimore Ravens. Last year, we were hoping for a major impact from Brandon Joseph. He was a good player. I don't think he was a difference maker. Last year, as maybe some of us expected, how do you sum up the safety position going into spring practice? I think it's a question mark, and I'll kind of give away something that I've been writing. Uh, I think it made it into this most recent magazine that actually just came out today on this Wednesday, uh, and then obviously it's made it its way to blueandgold.com as well. I think the Notre Dame defense has a little bit of an identity crisis going on right now, hmm. and what is happening at safety kind of goes hand in hand with that. Cause you mentioned Kyle Hamilton, go back to that defense in 2021 when he was healthy for those first seven games of the season. And then obviously uh, any game that he really played as a freshman, especially, but in those first three years, you had a guy that, I mean, let, let's face it, that the draft analyst called him this. And a lot of Notre Dame fans were calling this. He, he was a little bit of a unicorn, that can make all of these different types of plays. We saw it against Florida State in that 2021 season opener. We saw it a couple different times that season. You don't really have that guy in the defensive backfield for Notre Dame right now. Brandon Joseph was not that guy you mentioned last year. As I look at the roster and the depth chart this year, you don't really have that guy. And especially, I mentioned Isaiah Foskey in the special teams conversation, you're losing that from the defense as well. The all-time leading leader in sacks at the University of Notre Dame, you're losing him. You already didn't have this difference maker at safety. I think there's a lot of question marks. You can start at the defensive line or your question, you can start from the back end of the defense at the safety position. And you just look at it and say, okay, Ramon Henderson really came on strong in 2021, but did he do anything in 2022 to make you think that he's going to be a Kyle Hamilton type that can cover sideline to sideline and make all these plays? I'm not so sure. Xavier Watts, he made a lot of really good plays on the football. It seems like he's a really sure-handed tackler. and He can go up and, and make plays on the football, like I said. But is he really that difference-making guy? Uh, he's, I don't know if he's going to do a whole lot more than Brandon, what Brandon Joseph did last season, which, as we kind of laid out there, was not a whole lot. So I think you're just missing an element of just proven playmaking. Kyle Hamilton, proven playmaker. I mean, there were instances for him – with the Baltimore Ravens this past season as a rookie in 2022, where you follow the NFL's Twitter account and it was, boop, there's Kyle Hamilton forcing a fumble, recovering a fumble, making a play, whatever it was. Do you have that if you're Notre Dame at safety this season? 
I'm not so sure you do. So just the very fact that you're asking the question, I think, says a whole lot. Mm. Yeah, I'm really curious to see where the pass rush is going to come from this year. And also, I'm intrigued by a debate a lot of fans are having. You see it on message boards, including your guys's, is you've got veteran solid linebackers in starting spots, yep. but you got these young guys who possibly have the ability to be more explosive that are being groomed eventually to take over. And I think a lot of people are curious if that might start to happen before that first football game against Navy. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the identity crisis that I'm talking about is who is your guy defensively? And right now, I think it's Benjamin Morrison, the the cornerback who had six interceptions last season. And Look, corners are awesome, but there's only so much that they can do to impact the football game. Because now that everyone knows Benjamin Morrison's name, you can just kind of steer clear of him. And if you're a quarterback, say, well, I'm not going to that side of the field. I'll, I'll test out the fifth-year senior and Cam Hart on the other side. Or maybe I'll do some things in scheme and mix and match and whatnot to get some guys open at other areas of the field. So if your best defensive player is a cornerback, I mean, look, look at all these teams that are winning Super Bowls, winning national championships. At any level of football, you really don't want your best defensive player to be a corner, and that's no slight to Benjamin Morrison. He's awesome. Go be great. Go do everything that you're doing and more, but I'm not so sure that's going to help Notre Dame get to that championship level. Now, if you've got a linebacker, like let's bring it up, like a Manti Teo who can get you 100 and whatever tackles, and, and you remember most of those tackles. Then you have a difference maker at that level of the defense. Because J.D. Bertrand gets all the tackles in the world, but how many are are we remembering and saying, ooh, that was a really big tackle. That got the Notre Dame defense off the field, or that got the team going in this way, or or that caused a fumble, that did whatever. I don't think you see that a whole lot from J.D. Bertrand, Maris Leofel, Jack Kaiser kind of fall in that same category to where, yeah, that – they're consistent. They make some plays here and there, but they don't make the big play. They don't make the wow play. They're not the type of defenders that you go, man, we got to have this guy on the field for as many reps as we can get because every time he comes off the field, we're losing something. I don't think those are those guys. Hmm. Now to your question, is Jalen Snead that kind of guy? Can he make himself that kind of guy? Can Prince Colley make himself that kind of guy? Some of these younger guys, Drake Bowen, Nolan Ziegler, guys like that. Does Notre Dame have one that – like a Manti Teo, like I said, where every time he's off the field, you notice because you don't have that threat there to make the play against the opposing offense that's really going to take them out of what they're trying to do. And, and then you mentioned the pass rush, too. You lose Isaiah Fosky. I'm not sure who that guy is, too, mm-hmm. because, again, you could steer clear of a corner. You cannot steer clear of a guy who's going to line up on the edge every single time and get around that tackle and get to the quarterback. You can't steer clear of that. You, you can – motion away from it, or you can roll a quarterback out, but somehow those guys usually find their way to the quarterback. I'm not sure Notre Dame has that guy anymore. He's Tyler Horkin, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. You also cover the Fighting Irish women's basketball team. They did not play well in the ACC tournament semifinal, getting blown out by Louisville. Hey, we saw Olivia Miles on the sideline walking from the locker room to the court. And honestly, Tyler, it didn't look very promising. That didn't look like someone that was going to be playing a week from now. What's kind of your takeaway on Miles and what this could mean to the future of this Notre Dame women's basketball team in the tournament? Yeah, my sources are keeping it very tight to the vest obviously head coach 
Neil Ivy has kept it close to the vest, called her day-to-day pretty much every single time she's been asked about that injury. But let's be honest, Darren, you saw it, I saw it. That doesn't really look like a day-to-day injury. I think there was zero chance she was going to play in the ACC tournament. That turned out to be the case. I mean, I mean, I'm talking even if they made it all the way to Sunday, I don't think she was playing. If Notre Dame had a game tomorrow, I don't think she would be playing. Now, here we are, like you said, a week out. It's getting really dicey, and I think Neil Ivey is using this time to kind of find ways to be successful without Olivia Miles because you have to kind of game plan like that. You have to have a contingency plan, and obviously there's only so much you can do basketball-wise because you've got your seven to eight players who are going to play, and that's it in Notre Dame's case. It's already a short bench to begin with. So uh, I think it's going to be really tough for this team to do anything more in the NCAA tournament than they did last year, which is make a Sweet 16. Here's the difference. Last year, a Sweet 16 was probably a really good showing for that team. I think a lot of people liked what the team did, and it was just a couple of possessions away from the Elite Eight, which would have been very highly overachieving. At this point this year, if you have Olivia Miles, I think not getting to the Elite Eight would be a disappointing season. If Olivia Miles does not play in this NCAA tournament, I think getting right back there is probably the ceiling and probably should be the goal for this team. I mean, you can't talk national championship or even final four Mm -mm. if you take one of the two or three best players in college bat in women's college basketball out of the equation. You you just can't do it. I mean, she does so much for this team top two in really every major statistical category. And the only reason she got passed in the scoring category by Sonia Citrone is because she was out and Citrone really had to go off just for Notre Dame to win a couple of those games that miles was out in. So it just completely changes the whole dynamic there and of this team. When Olivia miles goes out, you hope it doesn't affect the psyche too much, but I think it does. I think you saw that in the Louisville game that you alluded to where you get down a little bit and all of a sudden you're down by 10 to 14 points at halftime. And you look around the locker room and you see Olivia Miles limping around and you know that she's not going to be able to come out on the floor and make plays for you. I think that gets to your head a little bit. Maybe it got to Sonia Citrone's head where she's thinking, man, I have to do so much just to give up the chance. The other players are thinking, man, it doesn't matter what I do because Olivia Miles isn't there to kind of back me up. So it's just really unfortunate that it happened to this team, the one that won the ACC outright in the regular season, would have had you know, every chance in the world to maybe get to an Elite Eight, a Final Four with Olivia Miles in the lineup. If she's not, then, I mean, you're just trying to scrap together wins at this point, and I think that's all Notre Dame can hope for. And finally, just a thought on the way Sonia Citron has elevated her game, that final regular season game against Louisville, then the first game of the ACC tournament. You know, the offense wasn't there for anybody, heck, in that last game against Louisville. But it seems like if there's one person who has really elevated her game to another level or two, it's been her. Yeah, she's awesome. I think it's a little unfortunate that it took this injury to Olivia Miles for people to realize that Sonia Citrone could probably be the best player on almost every other team in the country outside of some of these five to seven, maybe top ten teams. She would be the number one player. I mean, she can – shoot effectively she's a good ball handler she's Notre Dame's best on ball defender so you have to realize she's doing this two ways and she's putting effort out there 35 to 38 minutes per game having to give her all on both ends of the floor because as great as Olivia Miles is and she's crafty and getting steals and whatnot she's not the on ball defender that Sonia Citron is so 
it's just been awesome to see her kind of flourish in this way. And again, it's unfortunate that it's happening because Olivia Miles went out, but I, I think it has shown America that if Sonia Citrone is a number one option, which she has become with Olivia Miles out, then she can get you 20 pretty much any given night. And even in that Louisville game that we mentioned where she only scores eight points and Notre Dame only scores 38 as a team, she only shot the ball seven times. It was the turnovers that plagued Notre Dame, and they just weren't getting into their offensive sets. You give her 10 to 15 shots per game, she's going to get you 20-plus. And she got you 27 in that game against Louisville that Miles went out in, and then 28 in the first ACC tournament game against NC State. So she, she's awesome. It's just how much she, can she do on her own almost. I mean, Maddie Westfeld's a good number two, in this case with, the, with Miles being out and Citrone being the number one. But she's going to have to go off for 25-plus for Notre Dame to win these teams against – to win these games against teams in the NCAA tournament. That's just – kind of what this identity has become without miles but it has been kind of cool to see her go off in this way because i've always known that she's capable of it she's an all-american all of these things but when you're playing a you know the robin to olivia miles batman (laughs) you're only going to get 14 to 15 points a game but when you give her the opportunity to be the number one she can get it done for you tyler the time is now to be a part of the blue and gold family with spring practice two weeks away Yeah, exactly two weeks away. Here we are, March 8th. starts on March 22nd. So uh, nobody covers spring practices like blueandgold.com. We're going to have so many boots on the ground in South Bend to bring you observations from the offense, defense, of course, special teams. We can't leave that out, as we noted at the very uh, beginning of this conversation. But from interviews to what we see on the practice field and just everything that goes into a month-long slate of spring practices, nobody covers it like Notre Dame or like blueandgold.com. And then, of course, we'll see how far this women's basketball team goes too, and I'll be covering them every step of the way through the tournament. So great things happening at blueandgold.com for sure. Get there, sign up today, twenty nine ninety nine, and you will not regret it. Tyler, enjoy. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Darren. That's Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated. More Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat next on 960 AM WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 